0: Welcome to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks very much for tuning in. Michigan voters decided in November that it was time to end the practice of letting partisan interests draw our legislative districts. Now, citizens are going to make those decisions as part of a nonpartisan commission or a bipartisan commission. But there are still a lot of questions about how that's going to work. We don't know and we won't know for some time what that's going to look like or what it will achieve. Tomorrow, though, the Journal of Law and Society and the Levin Center at Wayne Law are going to convene national experts for the journal's annual symposium. This year is called Gerrymandering the Power of Boundaries. This is an opportunity for us to get an idea from people who spend a lot of their time thinking about these things, what this might look like. And joining us now to talk more about this symposium and the idea of nonpartisan district drawing is Carl Levin. He is a former U.S. senator. Carl, welcome to Detroit Today.
1: Well, good to be with you, Stephen.
0: Yes, great to hear your voice. Uh, Also with us is Eric Lufer. He is the president of Citizens Research Council of Michigan and one of the organizers of Gerrymandering the Power of Boundaries. Eric, welcome to Detroit Today.
2: It's great to be back. Yeah.
0: So, um, why talk about uh, this now that voters have taken the stand against gerrymandering that they did? Why do we need to discuss this issue, Carl?
1: Well, there's a lot of unknowns as to how this will—the uh, the group that's going to be appointed will actually uh, work it out. Um, this is uh, an important mission, a very vital mission for democracy in Michigan— it's part of a national movement to try to end gerrymandering, which uh, usually is done to favor incumbents or favor one party, and that means that then there are people, voters, who are disadvantaged or challengers uh, against incumbents who are disadvantaged. If you try to create these one-party districts, it also, when you have the one-party districts, uh, tends um to uh increase gridlock because the people who then know that they 're going to be reelected uh, can take uh, more extreme positions uh, without paying a electra, taking an electoral risk so there 's lots of reasons to do it, but in terms of implementing it uh, that 's going to be left up to a uh, commission that 's going to hopefully come up with uh, more uh, fair, more democratically selected districts. But there's a lot of unknowns in the implementation, I guess, is the short answer.
0: Yeah. Uh, Eric, uh, we we voted to eliminate partisan gerrymandering in November. Does that mean we're not going to have concerns about the way that the lines are drawn with this new commission? Does this mean that we've solved
2: all of those problems? No, we're never going to solve them. Uh, The idea is that we're going to take away the ability of either political party to directly influence them but there are millions of ways to draw lines in the state and and somebody's going to be unhappy with uh, the end results but we can have some assurance that it hopefully wasn't done to to influence a party the way the commission is put together uh, it it really should be uh, a a result of nuance, not not of political favor.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, talk about the symposium and uh, what people might learn if they attend.
2: So it's a pretty much all-day event. They're going to get started about nine, eight uh, 8.45 uh, with introductions, and uh, Secretary of State Jocelyn Benson will be there to provide the keynote at 9 o'clock. And then we're going to have a couple of panel discussions for the balance of the day, talking about uh, what has happened with gerrymandering, in recent past, uh, both here in Michigan and some of the other battleground states. Wisconsin and Maryland have been in the news and North Carolina is a big battleground state, Pennsylvania. Uh, So we'll talk about some of that. After uh, a break, then we're gonna get together and talk about race-based redistricting. That is uh, typically how we've thought about uh, the the controversy surrounding this and how minorities have been excluded and and the different efforts to guarantee their rights. And uh, the day wraps up with a session in the afternoon talking about political gerrymandering in the U.S. Constitution. So they're going to get into uh, some of the discussions that the U.S. Supreme Court is hearing with the arguments that are being made and the difficulty of of sorting this out. Uh, It really differs among the 50 states. So it's very hard to come up with one measure that you can say, are you on the right or left of this? <laughs> and so it should be a very interesting discussion. Yeah, yeah. Uh,
0: Carl, Evan, uh, you, you served in the U.S. Senate for many years from here in in Michigan. Um, what was it that you think made voters respond to this issue in 2018? In, in your experience, what did voters... This is not the easiest issue to explain even to voters. What was it that made them say in pretty large numbers we've got to do something
1: different well voters basically uh, don't want politicians feathering their own nest and that's when the incumbents do the 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 drawing of the district lines uh, too often they're doing it in order to protect their own incumbency and that's not what voters in a democracy want or expect they want lines to be they want to be represented fairly they want their votes to count equally with voters in other districts and if district lines are voted in a way which dilutes the power of some voters in order to protect incumbency that means the challengers have less of a chance it means that voters who vote against the incumbent have less of a chance of succeeding because they're not in a swing district they're in a district if the lines are drawn for political purposes uh, they're in districts which are there uh, not to reflect changes in moods of the public, but to uh, keep re-electing the same incumbent. So there's a lot of, a lot of uh, concern about democracy in America and the role of uh, politicians uh, in not uh, going uh, full blast to protect our democracy. And that means they've got to give up some of their own power and make it uh, fairer in terms of the elections. But voters basically really want to protect this democracy and ending this kind of political gerrymandering is uh, an important way of doing it.
0: Uh, Eric Lufer, talk about some of the hurdles that we're going to face in the next few years as we try to put together this commission and the process for redrawing lines. It is a little bit Ways off. We've got to wait until the 2020 census is done in order to redraw those
2: lines, but the work to get ready for that probably starts pretty soon. It's already started. Yeah. So, uh, or Arizona and California have already had commissions like this. So, uh, the Secretary of State and the the voters, not politicians, that were behind it, have been bringing in people from those states to learn from their experience. Let's not repeat any mistakes they've been making. Uh, So we're trying to figure out what the rules will be, how you're going to staff these commissions, all that type of thing. The very process of choosing commissioners is going to be a complicated process with a lot of eyes on it. How are you making sure that the parties aren't uh, secretly getting in there and and meddling with the process? Um, And then once it comes together, sort of how do you have all of the... Public hearings that have been guaranteed in the constitutional amendment that's going to require a lot of work traveling all over the state um, but you, your question started off how uh, you know sort of what can we respect expect from this mm-hmm. and um the way we've sorted ourselves in the state we've uh, the r- rural areas of the state tend to be very republican the urban areas very democratic so that's not going to change because we create a commission and drawing lines. Uh, we're still going to have Republican strongholds. We're still going to have Democratic strongholds. And it's really playing around the margins that that's the key. And um, it's going to take a lot of work to sort of work through that for, you know, as I said earlier, there's a unlimited ways to, to draw these maps and um, to sort through this and understand why people think they should be grouped with other people, and you're know, sort of putting up a jigsaw puzzle together. Um, it's going to be an interesting process to watch. Yeah.
0: Um, My guests are Carl Levin, a former U.S. senator, and Eric Lufer, president of the Citizens Research Council of Michigan. Uh, He's the organizer of Gerrymandering, the Power of Boundaries, a, a symposium that is taking place at Wayne Law. It is from 8.30 to 4 p.m. on Friday, March 22nd at the law school Spencer M. Partridge Auditorium. It's at 471 West Palmer Street in Detroit. Uh, We're talking about the idea of drawing district lines in a different way. Michigan voters said pretty overwhelmingly last fall that's what they want to do. They are tired of the idea of politicians drawing their own lines, uh, dividing up citizens in ways that favor their political parties or their ideologies, uh, now a citizens commission will get that duty and do it from hopefully from a standpoint of nonpartisan interests or at least bipartisan cooperation. If you want to join the conversation, give us a call 313-577-1019. That's 313 1019. Tell us what you think of this new idea here in Michigan of doing this legislative line drawing differently. Uh, tell us if you're excited about that prospect or maybe worried that uh, it won't achieve the things that uh, that you hoped it would. Uh, you can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there. Or you can go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today uh, and we'll work you into the conversation. Uh, Carl Evan, I also want to ask you uh, as someone who spent a long time in Washington about the things that we are seeing go on in Washington right now. It's an extraordinary time by most people's measures. Uh, what do you think of President Trump's style of governing um, and the way in which he interacts, not just with people in Congress, but with citizens in this country. Have you ever seen anything quite like this?
1: Well, I've never seen anything like it, and I hope I never see it again, frankly. It's uh, a very, uh, I believe, extreme uh, representation of a personality that is uh, an extreme personality that's got uh, all kinds of personal vendettas, uh, personal needs which overwhelm public policy. I mean, his Attack the other day uh, again on uh, John McCain. I thought that the, the rhetoric again was despicable. I I love John McCain, and I knew he would. It was a brave man in, in war and in peace and in politics. He took risks. And for this president to, to denigrate or try to denigrate uh, John McCain, to me, is, uh, number one, it's not going to work. Uh, he can't denigrate the— reputation or the memory of John McCain, uh, but it's just something which is beneath the dignity of a president. He divides our public. Um, we, we don't need more and more division, which has been precipitated uh, by his rhetoric. We've got to find ways of coming together, finding solutions, and his divisiveness, I think, is uh, goes to an historic extreme.
0: Uh, I also wonder what you make of the response to Donald Trump, which we see in many different arenas, but one is in the enthusiasm among Democrats who say they want to challenge him in 2020. Uh, give us just a thumbnail uh, a sketch of, of your sense of this field that's emerging. That also seems very different than things we've seen in the past.
1: Actually, I think it's great. I mean, I'm a Democrat. I obviously a proud Democrat, but uh... Uh, I'm not at all concerned that there's such a huge number of people. I think it reflects a real drive, a real concern. It's a real feeling about the importance of this democracy, that people are willing to put themselves on the line and run for office, whether it's their local office or whether it's for president. So it's a terrific field. It's a diverse field. I know we've got a president that mocks diversity, But this field reflects diversity, which I believe is really one of the great strengths of this country. uh, Hopefully we can overcome the divisiveness, which sometimes results from uh, having people of different backgrounds, races, and so forth, opinions that that, uh, are trying to be in one country. But basically it's a huge strength, our diversity, and it ought to be put It's a powerful force, diversity, a really powerful force, and it can be put to great use domestically here in this country with people working together, benefiting from the lessons that each group has learned over history, sharing experiences. it, It enriches our country, and it can be used not just in this country to strengthen us, but worldwide if we had... A president who understood the huge advantages of diversity and instead of dividing our people domestically and in dividing us from uh, traditional allies, as he does as well in the world, we need folks who are willing to run for office and to represent a different uh, point of view. And we got about so far, what, 12 Democrats just mm-hmm. doing that? Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, again, three one three five seven seven one zero one nine is the number on the phones. Let's go to Conrad in Tampa, Florida. Conrad, welcome to Detroit today. It's on your mind.
3: Good morning. Hey. I have a couple comments. Why don't you just use zip codes? Uh,
0: for, is first for legislative districts you're talking about.
2: Yeah, right. Yeah. And then the other thing is why does the public have access to my private information like party I do
3: how often I vote and where I live? Yeah. Those are uh, and the- then the- yeah, go ahead. The last, last one was, I forgot.
0: <laughs> okay. Well, uh, we got the first two, Conrad, and we absolutely appreciate your listening down there in Florida uh, and also calling in. Uh, Eric Luford, those seem like perfect questions for you.
2: Right. So, uh, you know, h- how many districts we're going to have, whether we should have a bicameral legislature, meaning a, a House and a Senate, all those things that are fair game. Uh, we have... Uh, I don't know how many zip codes in the state, but hundreds of them. So that might be a, a unwieldy number to try to deal with. And, and really how many we have is beyond the control of the state. That's determined by it's the post, federal you know, post office, yeah. I think. Uh, and the second question. The second question was about voter information. Yeah, the know? voter. Infor- yeah. So um, I think that's something we're all trying to deal with right now is how much privacy we should have. Uh, certainly Google and Facebook know more about us than most people would be comfortable with. And the idea that uh, that the government or that these political parties and their operatives would have all that information um, is certainly alarming to a lot of people. Uh, they seem to think they know how you're going to vote and, and want to pack you into a district based on what they think they know, Um I, for one, am a little concerned about that and try to guard my privacy. But, you know, again, people feel free to express their opinion on Facebook or Twitter or um, Google, is certainly watching every time you're on the Internet. So mm-hmm. uh, it's a difficult time to try to maintain privacy and, and still participate in our democracy.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Conrad, again, thanks much for the call and the questions. Let's go to Robert in Detroit. Robert. Hi,
1: um I'm just wondering why we can't have something more, um, like, by county, um, rather than redrawing the districts all the time. I know population shift, but you know we don't change our the lines of our state. So why do we change the lines of the local districts? I know that population shifts, but I'd rather yeah. see squares than salamanders.
0: Uh, that, that, that's a really interesting question as well, Robert. Now, in counties, you're down to 83 right here in Michigan, we, and if you use the county boundaries as guides I guess for some of the legislative districts you might come up with a map that uh, that was more rational or more intuitive I guess
2: when we drew when we created this our state constitution in 1963 the senate was supposed to be based on those counties right uh, but about that time the US Supreme Court came up with the principle of one man one vote that really should be enforced and so we have counties of uh, you know fifty thousand people up north Keweenaw county i don 't know exactly the population, and Wayne County with two million people, mm. so to say those two counties should have an equal vote in the Senate is concerning right uh, so they moved away from that and said that the lines should be drawn more or less on equal population and and that you know really dispels the idea that we could just go with county lines uh, so you know it, it's the type of thing we want to try to do. We want to try to keep political entities together and, and not break up cities or townships as, as much as is possible. Uh, but keeping on the county lines is really difficult because of the great variance in population, in population between the counties. Sir.
0: Okay, Carl Levin, former U.S. Senator. Great to have you here with us talking about this issue on Detroit Today. Thanks very much.
1: Great being with you as always.
0: Uh, also, Eric Lufer, president of the Citizens Research Council of Michigan. Thank you for being here. A pleasure as always. Yeah. And a reminder that that event, uh, the symposium gerrymandering the power of boundaries, is Friday, March 22nd, from 830 to 4 p.m. in the law school Spencer M. Partridge Auditorium. All right. Uh, up next, we are going to talk with another member of the Levin family, Congressman Andy Levin who represents Michigan's 9th congressional district is going to join us. Uh, also don't forget if you miss any of today's show, you don't have to miss out on the conversation. Just go to iTunes or wherever you download podcasts. Download and subscribe to Detroit Today. Take us with you and listen when you are ready. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. You're listening to Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks very much for tuning in. So we've been trying really hard to avoid interrupting the programming you love here at WDET for our spring fundraiser. But... Of course, we still have a goal to reach, $315,000. So we've come up with a great way to achieve that without much interruption. If we hit our goal before March 24th, we won't have to fundraise on air, not at all. And today, right now, the first $5,000 we raise is going to be matched by Leadership Circle donors Robert and Valerie Brinchak. You've also already helped us knock off two days off that fundraiser. It'll be two days shorter because of all the effort you have already put in. And when the goal is met, the fundraising ends. We promise. You can make your gift now at WDET.org or by calling 800-959-WDET. Okay. Lawmakers in Washington are back home in their districts right now for a short break. And for a lot of them, this is the first chance to hold town hall meetings with their constituents. One of those new lawmakers is the nephew of our previous guest, Carl Levin. Andy Levin represents Michigan's 9th Congressional District, which straddles Macomb and Oakland counties. Andy Levin, welcome to Detroit Today.
3: Thanks, Stephen. It's so great to be with you. Yeah.
0: So you held uh, your first town hall meeting Last night. Uh tell us how that went.
3: It was so great. Um it was in Warren and we had, I don't know, a hundred people there or something like that. Um a uh, people flocked to the mics to ask their questions or make their comments and I just feel like it's the it's a sort of a sacred part and really the best part of being a representative is to hear hear from the people. So it was, I, I really enjoyed it and it really energized me. I felt like it was a big success.
0: So uh, there are lots of eyes around the entire nation, in fact, sort of trained on Oakland, or I'm sorry, Macomb County uh, and the role it played in the 27 2016 elections Uh, the role that voters there played in making Donald Trump the president of the United States. I I really wonder what you heard from some of your constituents uh, uh, about the things that are going on, about the president, about the the way in which he interacts with people, not just in Washington, but uh, constituents. Uh, Was there a lot uh, of concern about those things last night?
3: There was. Uh, there was some concern, and there was a huge focus on uh, people's basic effort to hang on to their place or get their place in the middle class on, um, the, on supporting public education, on the affordability of college, on living wages and workers being able to have their own organization you know, and, and have it be respected. Here we've got the president attacking local UAW leaders in Ohio mm-hmm. on Twitter and so mm-hmm. forth. So uh, but in terms of, uh, you know, the recent horrifying events in the world, uh, there was a, a significant group of, of Muslim Americans who came, um, especially a, a group of Bangladeshis. And, you know, they they said they were scared. I mean, and they're worried after Christchurch and this mass shooting and the shooter in New Zealand and the shooter referenced the president it's so sad. Um, You know, in his long, incoherent manifesto of white supremacy. And, uh, you know, I had spent Sunday um, visiting with members of the Muslim community and and at interfaith vigils, and I just feel so strongly, Stephen, that we have to all stand up together against white supremacist hate, against Muslims, against Jews, against African Americans, Uh, So there was there that was there. And I think it reflects the fact that Macomb County is much more diverse than it used to be. Mm -hmm. And I'm not sure how many people realize that it's it's, uh, you know, the number of African-Americans living in Macomb County has grown exponentially between 1990 and today. And uh, there's a, a, a wealth of diversity there. So that was reflected in the town hall, too.
0: Uh, When your constituents talk about the middle class and middle class attainment, um, did they reflect that they feel as though this president is doing a better job than before at, at shoring that up for them? I mean, that was his pitch. Especially to people in places like Macomb County, was that he he could do better. He could he could secure more jobs. He could raise their wages. Uh, is is that what you're hearing back from them right now?
3: Well, they don't. I don't think they feel happy about it. I mean, we have uh, General Motors, uh, which you no, know, they tech. They're, they're, they have a lot of presence in Warren itself and in Macomb County, and even whether. People, as you know, if you're an auto worker, you, get, you, you might drive a ways to your plant. So you may live in, in, in Macomb and work even in Oakland or Wayne. But you know, General Motors is massively shifting its production from Oakland County, Wayne County, Macomb County, and the rest of the U.S. and Canada to Mexico. They've doubled the number of cars they produce there in the last 10 years alone. Now they're building a Chevy Blazer there, an iconic American vehicle, and they I guess they expect us to buy it. I ain't buying, Stephen. So I think people are upset by that. I do think you're right that the president uh, wooed people with a lot of rhetoric in his campaign about how he was going to fight for the middle class. But when you look at what's actually happened in terms of, jobs here and when you look at what he's doing to public education what his budget proposes i mean michiganders don't want to cut 90 percent out of the great lakes restoration fund we don't want to cut 2.1 trillion dollars out of medicaid medicare and social security over the next 10 years that's his actual proposals how you could build the middle class
0: yeah yeah um uh, did, did uh, your constituents surprise you with anything last night was there something that that came up that maybe you weren't expecting
3: well I'd have to say that um you know there's i think if you people's stereotypes might be that uh, people in macomb county would not support sensible gun reform you know, or that the, the there'd be a lot of uh, sort of uh, people there who, uh, you know, would, would support the sort of absolutism of the NRA. And uh, I found more evidence of growth of, of Moms Demand Action over there. They've got new members who came out to the meeting to ask me questions. And, you know, I've been very active on that issue in the Congress. I was an original co-sponsor of, the, of H.R. 8, which we passed, which would make background checks universal. Including gun shows and so forth. And, you know, Republicans, I think, support that by about 70%. <laughs> and then I, we also passed, and I was a sponsor of the, uh, H.R. 1112 to close the Charleston loophole. And I had an amendment that was included there to make sure the GAO studies whether that helps or not. Uh, so, I, you know, that was, it, it, it's sort of surprising me less and less. But just, Letting everyone have their hunting rifle, their handgun in their house, fine, that's not, just not a question, but can we deal with the epidemic of deaths from uh, gun violence, whether it's mass school shootings or suicides or kids you know getting uh, hold of a gun un- you know that, that's not properly secured and you know playing gun with tragic, tragic outcomes? I mean, you know that. That is a, perhaps a little surprising, hmm. but really, people are focused on their paychecks. I mean, if you, if any president who could deliver rising wages, ha- access to care, and a decent pension to the people of Macomb and Oakland County, they'd be reelected forever if they <laughs> if we didn't have two limits. <laughs> I mean, that's all we want—just a decent life.
0: Yeah. Uh, my guest is Andy Levin, a new congressman from Michigan's 9th Congressional District. Uh, he represents parts of both Macomb and Oakland County. We're talking about his first trip home since being elected after a short break uh, in, in in Washington. Uh, he hosted his first town hall meeting in Macomb County last night. Uh, we're talking about what constituents had to say to him about The things that are going on in Washington, about the president, about the Congress. If you want to join the conversation, give us a call uh, if you have a question for the congressman uh, or want to talk about the things that we see going on in Washington right now, uh, the the continued uh, animosity that the president of the United States shows not just to Other officials in Washington, but to actual constituents, I mean, people, just random people really uh, in in the country Uh, want to talk about the budget uh, and the proposal to cut 90 percent of the funding for the Great Lakes restoration project, something that the president has tried before to do and been rebuffed by Congress, they will have to turn him back again if we're going to continue that work, uh, restoring the Great Lakes, uh, or any other subjects that uh, that you uh, have on your mind about uh, Washington and policy and politics. As always, the number on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313 577 you can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there, or go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and uh, we will try to work you into the conversation. Uh, you have a meeting right after uh, this conversation today, Andy, with uh, other constituents about the impacts of the proposed budget in Washington on your district. Uh, can you talk about what things you will bring up with those constituents?
3: Yes, for sure. I mean, the, you know, the, when, you, when you present a budget, uh, you really, um, you know, share your values. It's a, it's a good indication of, of what your values really are. And this president's budget um, would dramatically increase military spending again even though the US military is bigger than the next eight or nine countries all put together, and it would cut just about everything else. Um, so we're going to talk to people experts and hear from them about the impact of cuts. Uh, you mentioned the Great Lakes Restoration Initiative. the president proposed cutting 270 million out of that 300 million program. <laughs> to me, like, why would you leave 10% of something? I mean, just, you know, it's a basically off-with-its-head gesture, and I'm confident that this new Democratic majority in the House will not let that uh, see the light of day, but I have to point out that Republicans have joined with us in this, in rejecting that, and, mm-hmm. and our Republican colleagues in the Great Lakes also don't like it. Um, but the, president, uh, budget, the President's budget proposes taking $17.5 billion from SNAP in 2020 um, and cutting it $220 billion over the next decade. Um, As many of your listeners know, SNAP is what we, you know, colloquially call call food stamps. Uh, It's help nutrition assistance for people who don't have enough money to get food. And I'm not sure who in this country thinks it's a good idea to have more people go hungry. Uh, And so that's appalling, and we're going to, you know, pr- we're going to uh, oppose that. Um, the president wants to eliminate programs that help students and low-income families go to college. I mean, my goodness, we've got a student debt crisis, even as things stand. And so we need to improve the ability of uh, working and middle-class kids to be able to go to college and not at exit with a mountain of debt, not undermine it. So we're going to talk about the effects of, of the budget on the environment, on, uh, poor people and on working families. Uh, and really I'm there more to listen and learn from, you know, tremendous experts and, and ones, you know, like, for example, a resident of the ninth district, uh, Gilda Jacobs, mm-hmm. I'm sure been on your program many times sure. and, and, uh, who's a leader in Lansing on, on, uh, on on issues for uh, with you know about helping poor people
0: okay we're going to take a quick break and when we come back we'll continue our conversation with congressman andy levin uh stay with us and stay with us on the phones 313-577-1019 is the number we'll be right back with more detroit today You're listening to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, I'm glad you've joined us. My guest is Congressman Andy Levin. He's a Democrat from Bloomfield Township. He represents Michigan's 9th Congressional District, which straddles Oakland County and Macomb County. We're talking about what is going on in Washington right now, what's going on with the budget proposal, what's going on with the president's demeanor, uh, the way in which he interacts with people, not just in Washington, but people all over the country. Is that normal? Is that okay? Uh, We also want to talk about the effect of this president's policies on people here in Michigan, and especially in Oakland and Macomb counties. Uh, what effect do you think he's having? This is a president who promised to shore up middle-class life in this country, to make uh, jobs, middle-class jobs more secure, to raise incomes. Is that the experience that you're having now that uh, he has been in office for two years? Uh, or are you somebody who's starting to have a little bit of doubt about the the those promises coming through. Uh, as always, uh, the number on the phones is three one three five seven seven one zero one nine. 1019 That's 313 1019 I would love especially to hear from folks in Macomb County where uh, Congressman Levin had a town hall yesterday, and Warren uh, gave you a chance to come out and talk about some of these issues. I'd love to hear what you think about what's going on from uh, the White House, what the, this president is doing to the economy and to jobs. Uh, you can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there, or you can go to Twitter Twitter. And uh, hashtag Detroit today, and we'll work you into the conversation. Uh, let's start with Karen. Karen is in Oakland County. Uh, Karen, what's on your mind?
4: Well, what's on my mind is I heard some Senator, or I'm sorry, Congressman Levin speaking about the um, uh, ethnicity and the very diverse uh, backgrounds that we have in Macomb County, and I do agree with him. And also, he was talking about the uh, uh, General Motors sending production overseas. And the same people um, deriding President uh, uh, Trump on some of his policies. I happen to enjoy the fact or agree with the fact that he's putting tariffs on them. But they have to buy the cars. A lot of these people uh, that are living in Macomb County have to buy the cars that are being made. You know, it, and most of them, a lot of them I see as I live in the area, don't.
0: Hmm. Wow. Karen, th- most th- of the
4: most of the Toyotas, Hondas, and other foreign cars I see driven are by people of uh, of diverse background.
0: Mm, that's interesting, uh, Karen. I appreciate the call and the question, uh, Congressman. Uh, are are we are we uh, talking the talk but not walking the walk when it comes to supporting American businesses like the auto companies?
3: Well, I I don't have any uh data on this. I I mean, uh, I could tell you uh just from someone who goes back and forth to between Detroit and Washington that a much higher percentage of the cars on the road here are Fords, Chryslers and and uh, GM vehicles than is true in the nation's capital. Mm-hmm. But I I certainly agree that uh we are And I I sort of preach that you know we ought to support our own workers here by buying uh, cars that are built by UAW members in Detroit and and other places like uh, Kansas City and you know other other places uh, even you know their their uh, Canadian brothers and sisters in Ontario uh, uh, so uh, who are represented by Unifor the the auto workers in there so. I'm, uh, I'm a big backer of uh, buying uh, not just cars made in the U.S., but uh, car, cars made by, uh, by UAW members who get good wages and, and benefits.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, Karen, again, thanks very much for the call and the question. Let's go to Phyllis in Warren. Phyllis. Yes. Good morning.
5: Mm -hmm. I'm very interested in your conversations all the time. But, Stephen, I've noticed uh, that there is a pattern that has come across in the last few years that is very distressing to me. Okay. Growing up after the Second World War and growing up after Korea and all those other conflicts and everything, there was always a question in the air, Am I going to make the world a better place for my children, my grandchildren, my great-grandchildren? That is no longer a question. No one asks it, and no one tries to do anything about it. Is the world going to be good for my grandchildren, for my great-grandchildren, a little four-year-old? What is he going to look forward to when he grows up? What kind of world do these people want to make for these young children? Or are we just simply going to destroy it? and hmm. Pardon my French, but the hell with everybody. Right. Uh, I, I'm sorry, but this question is not being discussed. It's not being asked. It's not even being thought of. It's all me me, I want, I want, and Trump is a jerk. Well, we know that, okay? Let's let's just eliminate that from the conversation. But what is the world going to be like for my one-year-old great grandchild, hmm. my four-year-old great-grandchild? That's a great grandchild?
0: It's a great question, Phyllis. And, and I, I mean, I, I it's sad for me to hear you say that you don't feel like that's where people's minds and hearts are right now. Uh, Congressman Levin, I wonder if you can speak to to how you see that that issue playing out in the things that your constituents say to you.
3: Well, I so appreciate Phyllis's question. I mean, it's so great. Um, I am more optimistic, though. I mean, I'm an original sponsor of the Green New Deal. I had uh, officials of DTE sit in my office last week and tell me they had moved up their uh, plan to get to eighty percent renewables from twenty fifty to twenty forty. I think that's because we're building tremendous momentum about about creating a world for Phyllis's great grandkids that is a beautiful world that is a sustainable world where we protect our precious lands and, and water and, and have good air to breathe. And um, I also think that we, in in the discussions about protecting this promise of a great public school education for every kid, it's absolutely about Phyllis's grandkids and great grandkids. And that was a huge theme last night in Warren. People are very proud of and intent on protecting their public schools. We had the uh, the the event in the Van, in Van Dyke Schools Auditorium. Uh, the superintendent came, which was wonderful, and the, the head of this of uh, you know the head of the school board. And there were a lot of teachers and parents in the audience. And so I really think Phyllis is right. We have to uh, fight for uh, a great future. And let me just say one other thing about this. And this is something I at least personally talk about a lot. I feel like in this era and, uh, you know, of, of this president, there's this sense of our best days are behind us or, you know, what we have to long for is some time in the past. I think I say to people, what happened to the greatness of America? I said this last night. What happened to the idea of American ambition? of our candy spirit, the incredible innovation, and looking to the future, don't tell me we can't solve our problems and, and you know, cre- and, and, you know I'll, I'll just focus on climate change. We need to change everything about the way we move, the way we live, the way we uh, produce goods and services, and instead of seeing this as a sort of an Eeyore view of, oh my, you know, this will be hard, can we do it? I say, this is America. This is going to be a chance for people to make fortunes, new inventions, tremendous jobs for people. Uh, so I, I look to the future and think that Phyllis is right on. The whole discussion should be about what's going to be great for Phyllis's grandkids and great-grandkids. And that would be a great way to organize public policy. And I, for one, and up for her challenge, and I appreciate her.
0: Yeah, again, Phyllis, thanks very much for the call and the comments. Uh, let's go to Karen in Macomb County. Karen, what's on your mind?
6: Hello, good morning. Oh. Um, I am so sorry I missed the town hall meeting last night. Had I known uh, it was taking place, I definitely would have been there with my comments. Um, what I want to address is... the problems uh, with um, Trump stripping all the protections in regards to the wildlife and the animals. Um, There's a lot of talk about what's going on with climate change and unfortunately I really don't hear much being addressed in how factory farming has contributed to so much of the climate change. You know there are studies showing that the methane gas you know, produced from the factory farm animals is far worse than all the vehicles combined together on the roads. Mm. Uh, there's also the problem with the USDA not being able to do its job. Um, there are barely any inspectors, and the animal cruelty that is going on inside of the slaughterhouses is is horrific. If you did that to human beings, you would be looking at 25 years to life. It's bad enough these animals, you know, are being killed for food production. But you know what? There is absolutely no excuse for these poor animals to have their heads slammed into concrete walls and concrete floors. They are literally being tortured to death. They're supposed to be unconscious before they're slaughtered, but because it's such mass production, these animals are literally being killed piece by piece by piece. There is no compassion whatsoever. The factory farms, you know, there are other states that are trying to pass ag-gag laws to make it illegal hmm. to stop undercover investigations—that's a huge yeah. violation Karen, of the First Karen, Amendment. Right. I,
0: I really appreciate uh, the call and and the comments. Uh, l- let's stick with the environmental issues that you raised at the beginning uh, of your call, uh, Congressman Levin. Talk about how this administration has dealt with protecting the environment.
3: Well, it's been a it's been a disaster, and um, you know, uh, let the, and and to honor Karen's point, uh, or you know, her her interests, um, I'm very worried about their continual efforts to water down and weaken the Endangered Species Act, and to stop protecting uh, endangered species, and. Well, you know, I think Karen might slightly overstate the role of agriculture in uh, the greenhouse gas problems. It is real. In other words, it doesn't dwarf the other sectors combined, but it's very real. Nine percent, uh, according to the EPA, nine percent of greenhouse gas emissions uh, in the U.S. are from agriculture. And we absolutely need to take on the problem of uh the of, of of the way we raise our food um and the way that contributes to climate change so i'm i'm with her on that as well but uh you know i think the thing the one thing i want to say that we really haven't been able to mention stephen and it's just I, you know i haven't mentioned it is how much this house of representatives uh is passing major pieces of legislation yes One after another, and so rest assured we will pass major infrastructure legislation. We will pass major legislation on climate change, on protecting our environment. We've already passed uh, major legislation, HR1, magisterial legislation on protecting our democracy, that's worth a whole show. Mm-hmm. I, I teased my <laughs> colleague yesterday, and I think this is true, maybe the only person who knows all elements in H.R. 1 is Representative John Sarbanes of Maryland, who is the quarterback. <laughs> I mean, it it, it uh, provides public financing for elections. It pr- pr- uh, requires corporations to show who they're uh, giving political money to, to their shareholders. It It uh, requires the kind of redistricting, ending gerrymandering, like you were talking about earlier, throughout the country, and a hundred other things. So we will, I mean, Karen can, I hope she'll follow our efforts to uh, really take on climate change and to protect endangered species and, you know, to take other actions to protect our environment in this 116th Congress. And then we'll see. We'll work as hard as we can with the Senate to see if they'll go along with some of this. And then the voters can say, well, in 2020, I uh, guess not the president and the Senate, if they didn't do much of that, if, if the voters want it done, they're just going to have to get a president and a Senate that will yeah. make real change in this country. Yeah.
0: OK, Congressman Andy Levin, Democrat from Bloomfield Township, who represents Michigan's 9th Congressional District. It was really great to have you with us here on Detroit Today.
3: Thanks, Stephen. Appreciate it.
0: Don't forget, uh, just today, right now, the first $5,000 we raise is going to be matched by Leadership Circle donors Robert and Valerie Brinchak. You want to help us do that to knock off more days of interrupting fundraising. It's going to do it for me today. I'll be back tomorrow. I hope you will, too. This is 1019 WDET, Detroit's public radio station, a community service of Wayne State University. I'll talk with you again tomorrow.